Hey Brian, hey listeners, welcome to a very special and unusual episode of The Goods Film Podcast. I'm calling this our 25th episode spectacular. It's a little bit of a retrospective, we're going to look back, also we're going to look ahead. We're going to then slice and dice some of the reviewing that we've done, and then we're going to end with a, a awards show segment where we'll talk about some of the highlights and lowlights of these first 25 episodes. And because we record every single week, 25 episodes is very close to half a year. So we have now gone pretty close to six months recording the goods every week, rain or shine. Brian, how are you doing this evening? Good. That total of six months blows my mind a little bit. Although the consistency has been nice, it is very zen and dependable. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's always given me something to think about, to look ahead to, to really just keep me on my toes, and but also give me something to look forward to. Oh, for sure. And this will show up in your feed as 25A or something, because we're actually recording it the same week as our most recent true 25th episode, but we thought we would break this part off as a little appendix. But we've never numbered our episodes, at least not to this point. But Except internally. Part of what we're going to do here as sort of our little Oscar season victory lap that we're doing tonight is talk about plans for the future and maybe some kind of official public numbering is in order. I don't know. We're just going to be kind of spitballing here, sharing some thoughts on what has come before and what may lie ahead. And Dan has done some hard numbers research, so there will be that mathematical component as well. This episode itself is a little bit of an experiment because it's it's different from our other episodes, and uh, we've been looking forward to doing something special on this 25th anniversary. We have a little outline, as I mentioned, of what we want to talk about today, and I think we're going to start with a segment I titled, Looking Back, The Last 25 Episodes and Before. And I kind of wanted to open the floor to you, Brian, on what some of your thoughts are, looking back on 25 episodes of The Goods. Okay. So I do have some thoughts about the path that has led me here. I also wanted to hit you with some questions, Dan. Sure. So why a podcast? What drove you to create a podcast? It's funny you ask that. That's one of the things I was going to bring up. So, you know, we started this in fall of 2020, September 2020, and I had not really been in the content creation rhythm at all. I also had basically been completely detached from pop culture and art and media and really thinking about it. And I wanted to get back into it. And in particular, I stumbled on a couple of movie podcasts and websites that really excited me. And I haven't been watching movies regularly since... Uh, daughter was born in 2017. And even before then, it was pretty infrequent. And it kind of excited me to, you know, start watching movies again. 
And I, I didn't think I was up for maybe blogging, writing really in-depth reviews like I've always wanted to and, and kind of have off and on for the past decade or so. But I thought a podcast might be a fun thing. I foolishly, in retrospect, thought that it would be a much lighter lift than other form of content creation. And that was appealing to me at the time. Um, but it goes without saying, perhaps, that um, I've been fully engaged in the goods it's been much more effort, but also much more rewarding than I really expected when we started. Well, all praise and laurels go to Dan for doing all the editing so far. I extend once again the offer that I could <laughs> do a bit of that, but if you're happy where you're at, I, I, I won't take it from you. Part of that is kind of selfish. I get very self-conscious. One thing I always admired about you, Brian, is you're very confident in putting yourself out there. And I try to be, but I still get doubts. And something about the security of being able to edit myself in post is appealing. So some of it is just that I've done it and I've bared the load, but some of it has also been a selfish uh, aspect of it too. A safety net. I can definitely understand that. Over at the public access station a bunch of the producers will go live to tape. They'll just do it, and whatever ends up on the tape, they'll drop in the slot and turn into the station, and I <laughs> can't comprehend that. It's like, why Why not use your full power? Why not give a polished product? Uh, I don't know. They just want to drop it off and be done with it. It's admirable, I suppose. Lazy, perhaps. I don't know. If you're going to be doing one all the time. I, I can see the appeal of it. I've gotten a little looser with our editing in the past 10 or so episodes. And I can see if you're doing something like this, some creating some sort of content for years on end every week, that you would get to that point in, in your head, I think. So for me, I've been into watching movies and thinking about movies and discussing movies for a really long time. And this is kind of my full backstory that's led me to this point. But in my college years, I shared some movies with my quote-unquote fraternity brothers. I was in a music fraternity. And they wanted to watch The Room by Tommy Wiseau. And I said that I had a DVD of The Room that we could watch. But it was with the proviso that... If we were going to watch The Room using my DVD, they also had to all agree to watch Troll 2. <laughs> because when it comes to So Bad It's Good movies, Troll 2 is the one that I embrace fully. That's that's my jam. It's an important milestone in any friendship with Brian that he gets you to watch Troll 2. And so I thought after watching Troll 2 in The Room, they would be sick of my movie collection. But then when the next semester rolled around, this was like at the start of my junior year, the fraternity announced that Brian Terrell Movie Night was going to be an official Rush Week event every semester. And so I would pick out some strange movie that everybody would watch as part of rushing. And so we watched like The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T and Manos Hands of Fate and Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. 
as part of that, I created a Facebook page that kind of advertised the movie nights. Then I started kind of as part of that Facebook page writing little blurb reviews of movies. And so I kind of had a pseudo blog going on this Facebook page. Then after I was done with college in 2013, I decided to write an in-depth series of reviews on my 100 favorite movies, which Dan noticed I was doing and kind of extended a hand to me to come share the content on his entertainment blog, which is called Earn This, which we've talked kind of around multiple times as we've done our podcast here. But could you tell us a little bit more about what Earn This is, Dan? Sure. So much of my content creation spark also comes from college. It was a little bit different. Um, I throughout late high school and college had various short-lived blogs or kind of a private collection of reviews that no one really read except me. And I got wind of a friend, it was like sort of a friend of a friend, but has since become a very good friend that also was very interested in writing movie reviews. And that was something that I kind of stumbled into when I was in high school, actually probably maybe my freshman year of high school, I just kind of out of the blue, when my dog, my family dog died, I was inspired to write a piece about my family dog and I kind of tied it with my love of a specific Billy Joel album and how certain elements of those memories were kind of interlocked with growing up, which of course my family dog was always uh, kind of in there. And that from then I always had the bug to like write how I connected to art and media. And so I would do it, like I said, in these kind of little one-off things. I've always wanted to be a better writer than I am. And my thought has always been, if I'm ever going to be a good writer, it's not going to be, sheer genius insight level talent it's going to be through craft and hard work and just banging my head against a piece of marble until it finally shapes something you know it's like the sheer craft and the sheer practice i did it again various mediums through high school and college and then my senior year of college i just i really had the desire i was inspired by a couple of features on the website the av club where there were these really impressive writers who wrote with consistency, really thoughtful pieces. And I just wanted to do that. I wanted to have something that I could look at and point at and be proud of and said that I had done that. And so when I, I heard that there was another friend who was really into writing reviews, you know, a friend of a friend, I reached out to him and we got dinner and I kind of pitched him the idea of us co-founding a website. I would be the webmaster. I would write and he would contribute his movie reviews or whatever he wanted to write about. He was also big into music. That was Both of us were music and movies. I was more on the music side. He was more on the movies side, although we both loved both. And we did it. I got it up and going, uh, earnthis.net, back in July 2009. And I wrote for it a lot. Uh, I mean, I never missed a month for something like nine years I never missed it. Maybe it was eight years. I, I never went any calendar month without writing a piece. 
which was a streak that I was very proud of to the point that sometimes it would be the last day of the month and I'd be like, oh shoot, I haven't written anything this month. And I would dash out something to make sure I got it out there on time. But part of this is, you know, it was me, me and my buddy. And then I also reached out to another good friend from high school. And then sometime around, I don't know exactly what year it was, but I think I had graduated college. I saw you doing that. And I just said, this guy has got a great way of thinking about things. He's got dedication and it would be awesome if we could get another voice on the site and maybe it could be more in it for him. He could more with his writing than just a Facebook group page. So I reached out to you and um, the rest is history, I guess they say. That's right. It's just progressed from there. And then I also had some thoughts on my relationship with podcasts in general. So we've talked a couple times about that the last few years I've been working in a science supply warehouse. And it's a small company. Most of our business is in the summertime. So for especially the last two years, and of course in 2020, this was the case, I'm the only person working there. And so it sometimes I say it's like a Quasimodo. Like occasionally my supervisor comes in and tells me to fear the outside world. <laughs> But other than that, I'm just there ringing my bells. But I've taken in the last few years to listening to a whole lot of podcasts. It's a good way to pass the time while you're otherwise physically occupied. You can be mentally spending time consuming podcasts. And so I've gotten very into podcasts that tell a story. Uh, It could be true crime or history, that sort of thing is what I usually turn to. A few of my favorites. I recommend one called Criminal, which is kind of aping the style of Serial, but it's a different crime topic every episode, and they put it out much, much more frequently than Serial. So I I recommend that one. Also, anything by Dan Carlin, who's a history podcaster. He's kind of like the Willy Wonka of podcasts and that everybody regards his stuff as very high quality, but he's like reclusive and it takes him forever to put anything out. It's like every six months something will pop up. Uh, what about you, Dan? What are some influences that you're drawing on or favorites of yours when it comes to podcasts? So one podcast you didn't mention there that I was sure was going to come up and maybe you're leading to this, but... We have a, a friend, and I think you're you're much closer with him than I am, named Teddy, who started a podcast. And as far as influences for me on this show, I kind of had a pretty unformed idea, and I really leaned on you on helping me figure out what this would look like. And I think it was a good collaboration in that regard. And I suspect that the influence of that podcast, Teddy's podcast called Buzzed On Movies, is very strong here, both directly and indirectly. Sorry if I'm stealing your thunder for something you were just about to say here. No, that's true. Good catch. I should have said that. Yes, so uh, Dan is two years older than me. Teddy is one year older than me, so he's sandwiched in between us. And we all went to the same high school. Something I'll touch on in a moment is that I feel like all my friends are friends I made in high school. But Teddy has been a longtime collaborator as well on my public access TV show. And... 
he's very funny. Uh, not too long ago, my brother just kind of matter matter of factly said, "Well, Teddy's your funniest friend," <laughs> and I I had never really put a label on that, but apparently just as a snap decision, he gets the gold medal. And definitely, they do an entertaining movie review podcast. I guess I will add in that I think I've said this. The Goods was an idea that I came up with because I wanted to write more film reviews that fell outside of that 100 Film Favorites series. Just things that I would recommend to people but may not be paragons of cinematic art. I latched onto that name. I really like that name, even though it's a little bit nondescript. First of all, you had the imagery of like somebody smuggling you a movie review or something. And I just, I really like that. And we managed to get a pretty uh, snazzy logo out of it when we commissioned something. Um, so I did like that. But I also just liked the idea that, um, first of all, our podcast isn't necessarily about the best movies or about the worst movies. But in general, it's about the goods, something that we think might be good or might be appealing in some way. And second of all, as kind of a double layer, we would bring you the goods. We bring you the info on the movie, just really some in-depth thought on it. And I kind of latched onto that name and that idea. And I think we found a structure that, you know, we'll talk a little bit about if there's any tweaking to it, but is really a good framework format for us to pick a movie and think through it and talk through it and uh, find something out about it and uh, kind of really, really dig into it. So, yeah. So I know we've got lots of things to hit in our kind of free form (laughs) gathering here tonight. So not to tuck your ear off in the looking back section, I did have a couple more things to say. Basically, hopefully this has helped you pass your time. If you have randomly stumbled across the podcast as you're driving around or working a job where you can have your earbuds in. Because that's really one of my goals, if you're in a similar situation. Because also like my public access show, I want this to serve as kind of a message in a bottle. You know, you don't know who's going to find it, but it could facilitate a connection. It's like, these are my thoughts being pumped out into the universe. And... Maybe you'll like what I'm laying down. Right. We actually just got our first fan email ever, like two days before recording this. Someone listened to our episode on the Rockfire Explosion documentary and had some really nice things to say about it and had a question for us, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, very impressive to actually put the pieces together and reach out to us because I, I for one, have never emailed a podcast, (laughs) even... The ones that I most fervently enjoy. Right. But it's always cool to see how those connections form because he said that he had just watched the most recent Half in the Bag review, which was on Willy's Wonderland, the new Nicolas Cage movie that's kind of an unofficial film adaptation of the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise, which obviously features killer animatronics at a Chuck E. Cheese-like restaurant. So that he would watch that video and then look up other Rockafire material. And then listen to ours and reach out to us. It's a lot of uh, pieces falling into place. Yeah, it's a tangled web we weave. (laughs) 
that's just the world of media these days though all these connections and content for people who are seeking it and you find a few people you find an audience and you find the creators that you like and this it's never been easier to create or find material which is kind of a exciting and scary time i guess one of my favorite things to come out of gauntly is that on the facebook page that i maintain for it people i've met in my travels will like the posts and some of my most consistent followers are the guy who runs the flatwoods monster museum in west virginia and the guy who voices the paul bunyan statue at trees of mystery <laughs> in northern california in the redwoods that's cool so i like imagining them sitting at their jobs and just liking gauntly facebook posts right <laughs> Your content popping up, yeah. And the last thing that I wanted to say to get a little mushy for a moment as far as looking back is that 2020 was not a great year, probably for a lot of you. And it picked up for me in September when I formed connections with three people. So two of them were artistic projects and I was dating somebody for a while, which was cool. But of the things that started in September, this one is still going. And so I have gotten a lot out of being able to hang out in this liminal space we've created in this weird time that the world is in. And I'm glad we've been able to keep it going. Fully reciprocated. I was joking with my wife when I was thinking who I was going to get Christmas presents for. And I was like, Brian's basically my only friend these days. 2020 did have a negative I mean probably me having kids was more of a negative impact like I don't really hang out with people that much anymore but uh 2020 mm -hmm. and the ramifications of it is basically Brian and then my three high school buddies that I do virtual board games with and everyone else is at a occasionally text occasionally email level so yeah I've been very grateful for it as well and have found a lot of value in the the connection and the ritual of it so thank you Brian for being a, being a big part of my 2020 and the future. And so when it comes to the future, I, I kind of wanted to spend just a moment in the present to, to hit all of the Christmas ghosts, if you will. Sure. But I think it's going to affect our discussion of what comes next. So having done 25 episodes, what have you thought about our process so far, especially the structure any structural thoughts of what's what's worked well, anything you might want to change, or just any observations in that vein? We've been pretty consistent with our structure, and part of that is because it works. I think what we have in its essence is a good way to kind of look at a film. You kind of look at why this film might exist and why you might care about it, what's actually involved with the story, what what was appealing about it, what was less than appealing about it, and overall, what is the quality of it and the takeaway from it. And that's just a pretty intuitive structure, I think. Um, I personally go for the shorter podcasts. My favorite podcast of all time does two 10-minute episodes together. So it's 20-minute episodes once a month. It's called The Anthropocene Reviewed by the author John Green. They're just essays that he reads, basically, about different things. But my point being here that I, I tend to like shorter podcasts. And I think that 
one way that we can maybe not necessarily shorten, but um, really focus on bringing out the most interesting things we have to say is by figuring out how to streamline the recap section in a couple of ways. One is that I think that we just end up spending a, a lot on it when it's not necessarily the most interesting stuff we have to say. Like talking about what happens in a movie is not really us. Although we, we have done a pretty good job of mixing in discussion and kind of putting things in our own words. Another thing is that when we do kind of react to stuff and share our thoughts in positive or negative terms, then by the time we get to our what worked and what didn't work about this movie, the good things and the not so good things, we're often repeating ourselves. I apologize if I'm stealing your thunder because this is something you I am to me as a reflection pretty recently. And it was already in my brain too. And so just to second what you had said to me, I, I do think we'd occasionally repeat ourselves a little bit. So if there's one aspect of our structure that I want to refine, it's thinking about exactly how the recap and then the following sections work. I have an experiment that I want to try. I might do it for the next episode or I might wait until the next time I host after that, where we basically do something a little different with the recap, where basically I'll just do a very short version of the recap and then we can, with, with no intermingled discussion, and then we can do our discussion afterwards. I just think we're going to continue to play with that a little bit and, and find something that works for us. As for one thing that is <laughs> that has grown on me that I wasn't sure I was going to like is our eight-point rating system has become the framework by which I think about evaluating movies, our is-it-good scale. And it's really grown on me. And I'm not sure all the names of the ratings are perfect, but they're still how I would think about describing the quality of a movie. And especially when we get when I just started calling our eight out of eight tour day good, our masterpiece rating, which I think it's a little easier to understand what a masterpiece is than calling it tour day good. But I have really come around on our uh, our rating system as it is. So those are a couple of my thoughts. Yeah, eight feels right. It's like you could also think of it as a four star rating that you can use half stars. Right. It just seems like a good number of degrees from totally hating something to completely loving something but on the other end of the podcast length spectrum when dan carlin does emerge from the twilight and drop a podcast installment it's like five hours long and often there are multiple of them to tell one history story like one of my favorites i i do prefer the ones that are more standalone but he's got one that's like a standalone six hours on the history of nuclear weapons. Wow. So I enjoy podcasts that you can consume in chunks, you know, multiple drives home and just pause. Because that's one of the great things about the Apple Podcast app, and I'm sure a lot of others, is it'll save your progress. And so it knows exactly where you were. For whatever reason, I never got over the idea of a podcast is something you should listen to in one sitting. And so for me, five hours is daunting. But I suppose you're right. Just like an audiobook, I'd never listen to in one sitting. There's no reason I would have to listen to an audiobook in, in one one burst. And of course, Buzzed on Movies goes about 90 minutes. So I'm, I'm just totally ripping off of Teddy once again. <laughs> but I will say that in the future, I am open to structural experimentation, whether that be streamlining our, our usual approach or I was also going to pitch maybe 
some alternate structures that we might do from time to time, like maybe a listicle type thing, whatever the audio equivalent of that is, like top five such and suches. A podcast that Dan sent to me in the planning stages here was called Alternate Ending. And this is a movie review podcast. They also will interview people. I guess they're pretty well established. I don't know that much about it. Yeah, we kind of circled around it and I never got a a moment to exactly bring these guys up. But Alternate Ending for me was probably the most direct inspiration in two ways. One was, so they're a team of three. They're a married couple and then a graduate student who the graduate student is a very prolific online movie reviewer in a semi-professional capacity. And his name is Tim Brayton. I've mentioned him a couple times on the podcast. He has 4,000 reviews posted on alternateending.com. And the podcast has been a major inspiration and time suck, but reading his reviews has been even more so. He's a phenomenal writer and one of the people who really got me excited about movies again in 2020 when I stumbled upon his website and liked a couple of his posts, his, his reviews, and then basically just started scrolling through his list of movies he'd reviewed. And even movies I hadn't heard of, I would just click on just to read it. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a, a reviewer or a critic where it gets to the point you like them enough that you'll even read them writing about something that you don't even actually care about personally. And Tim Brayton got to me for that. But the podcast also inspired me because if Tim Brayton is like kind of a very academic film studies approach to film criticism. The other two, the married couple are, are very much more casual in different ways. And just hearing them talk about movies made me think that they do it well and that I could do it. And maybe I could figure out how to do it well, the way that they do it well. And I love their top five episodes. In fact, those are the only ones I listen to really is they'll, they'll have some list. They'll have top five or whatever top five date movies, top five. And every, I think they do once a month, they try to do one of these lists. The most recent one is top five love scenes. And I, I really love listening to the the interesting, I mean, Tim's lists are always the are always the best because he, he appears with them too. The kind of the most well-researched and learned of the, the lists, but it's also fun to hear different perspectives. And I think the fact that they have a, woman who is not by any stretch someone who loving movies is one of her personal characteristics she's very much a casual movie fan but she's very articulate and funny adds a lot of flavor to it and if there's anything that i can't change and i am somewhat grateful for but perhaps is less interesting to the listeners is that brian and i tend to think pretty similarly there's a few movies we've thought pretty differently about but we have a streak of like six or seven movies or something where we've been giving them the same rating out of eight. So I I, <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, yeah, that was a, a tangent on alternate ending was definitely a very direct inspiration for the goods for me. Yeah. So these these three people fall at very different points on the spectrum of how into film they are, how much of film nerds they are. I don't know. You, you know, it's a well-adapted couple and a crotchety film geek i don't know i imagine like so in a, in a little while we're going to be this is a minor spoiler but we're going to be talking about uh running gags in the podcast things that come up a lot 
And one one thing is I think about a Christmas carol a whole lot <laughs> and, and bring it in even when it's not Christmas. But this grouping of people makes me think of like when Scrooge goes to his nephew's party. Like if Scrooge and his nephew and the nephew's wife decided to record a movie podcast. <laughs> that's that's the vibe I get. Yeah, that, that's a good one. And they're also at about an hour and a half per episode. But I will say I... The, the point, the method to my madness of bringing this up is I have only skimmed the surface of that podcast, but the ones I have most enjoyed have been the top fives, like you mentioned. And I think we could make some hay there if we just threw out a topic maybe at the end of one week and then prepared some notes for the episode the following week as if we if we ever wanted some space, some spice. One thing for me is that I'm kind of re-engaging with movies after better part of a half decade off and if we choose a top five list i want it to be something that i would feel really confident that i can give you a good ranking on and there are a lot of like genres or topics where i could maybe come up with five things but i wouldn't feel really confident about that ranking so i think we just have to pick a good category but i'm definitely up for it yeah know that anything that you hear from us obviously comes from a certain perspective like we can't really change we can watch more movies than we've seen previously so we are working on expanding our horizons but it's it's coming from a certain background we are who we are and we've seen what we've seen we are by no means comprehensive in our film knowledge definitely but we're learning we're learning as we're teaching and we're hoping that you'll join us on learning more about movies too that's Part of what we are trying to to do here is have you learn about stuff as we learn about stuff, because we're definitely learning as we go, too. Man, six months. That means about 50 episodes will fill up a year. Time flies. So the, the last thing I wanted to say before we get into probably what, to the extent that anyone is listening to this episode, has anything they're trying to get out of it, the segment that you probably care about, before we get to all that... I wanted to share one last thought, and that is my relationship with movies. I've already talked a little bit about it, but this podcast has really inspired me to watch more movies in general. I've been trying to do a mix of movies that I liked when I was younger to see how I feel about them now. Movies, of course, for the podcast that either Brian or I pick. Classics, you know, just a little bit of everything to really enjoy movies more. And I found kind of a good cadence of watching them on my phone while I do chores and also second screening sometimes at work if I'm doing something mindless. And it's funny today. So I decided that one thing I would do is I would, every time I watch a feature length movie, first of all, I'll log it on Letterboxd. And I've been using Letterboxd since we started the podcast. And I've been really diligent about logging everything I watch. And then on my own separate spreadsheet, I rank the movie amongst the movies that I've seen since the podcast started. So this is going to basically be my master ranking once I've seen enough movies for it to basically represent the approximate sum totals of movies that I've seen. And just today I hit 100 feature length films watched since we started the podcast. So I now have a top 100 for the first time in many, many years, probably a decade, I did make a top 100 back in like 2008, 2009. But 
I now have a top 100, and that top 100 does unfortunately include Robert 2015 at number 100. So uh, I think the next time I watch a movie, it will no longer be in the top 100. Not to go too far off into the weeds, but Letterboxd and similar sites. I mean, there's there's one for video games that I think is called Backlog or something. I mean, that's that's the concept for all of these sites is list the things that you have consumed and for some reason that's an idea that just makes my skin crawl (laughs) i don't want a list of the things that i've consumed not just because you know all that data is just going to big tech but i just don't find it appealing to me that's like listing everything you have for lunch every day of your life and i don't really want to think about that much i don't i don't want to think that it could be boiled down or I, really I don't want to see a list of the hours I've spent watching Netflix. There is something depressing in that. Yeah. So a hundred movies times say an average of an hour and a half. It's probably actually higher than that. That's at least 150 hours in the past year I've spent watching movies and I can say for certainty it's actually longer than that. Cause a couple of these are kind of long. So yeah, it's uh, it can be depressing it goes both ways. It's kind of cool to for me to really think about and try to... My memory is... I don't have the best memory. It's been... Perhaps this will be your um, on your list of running gags, but I mess up names and I will start a sentence and then forget what I was going to say or start thinking about the next sentence and say the wrong thing. I'm very absent-minded sometimes. And having it all in front of me is actually pretty appealing, although I can certainly accept that that is not the same for you. The thing I like to document comprehensively is things that I create. So we have gotten pretty in-depth with our notes about this podcast, for instance. And the reason I do that is mostly so I don't repeat myself. Uh, Especially with my public domain TV show, like, I, I never want to use the same film clip twice. Sure. So I've got a whole bunch of notes going into that but I don't have any plans of joining, say, Untapped to list the beers I drink. Fair enough, yeah. On that note, Brian, do you want to move to our next section? We talked about looking back the last 25 episodes and before. We talked about looking ahead the next 25 episodes, because I think we will probably try to do this every 25 episodes. We'll see how we're feeling another half year from now. The next 25 episodes and beyond. I have uh, completed my some thoughts of those two sections. Are you ready to move to the goods by the numbers, or did you have anything else you wanted? I'll just say that I wrote out a document at one point of movies that I want to potentially use as episode assignments, and it's already gotten very long. So (laughs) I think we've got sufficient fuel for this fire to keep going for the foreseeable future. Mine is over 50 movies long, and it was starting to grow longer because I was trying to think about what seasonal or holiday picks would be for various holidays, and that got my juices flowing as well, thinking about different things we could do for different holidays. So I agree. Lots of fertile ground to cover in the future. But what have you got special planned for us here as part of our late February awards season, one might say? It's a good point. Touching it on Oscars territory. Um, I wanted to do a section called The Goods by the Numbers, and I'm hoping that we will revisit these numbers because hard numbers are an interesting, very easy to compare over time thing. And I thought laying these out here 
for comparison in the future might be compelling down the line, but it's a couple of uh, specific, I don't know. I did a little research on, on what we've watched and what we've done so far. And I thought I would share those with you, Brian and listeners total. The goods of film podcast has covered 37 selections. That's 37 total things. Um, these would be movies, TV specials, TV seasons on this or on other podcasts where we have appeared as a podcast team. 36 of those things have been on our podcast specifically. We did one guest appearance on Buzzed On Movies. And of those 37, 33 have been movies, feature-length movies. Two have been non-feature-length TV specials. I think a couple of our feature-length movies were initially aired on TV, but are today essentially indistinguishable from other streaming movies. The TV specials I consider shorter than feature length. We have two of those. And we also have two TV seasons or miniseries. So that adds up to 37 total. Among the, I'm going to use the word movies as a proxy for all things movies, TV specials, and TV seasons and miniseries. For the rest of this episode, if I say movie, I really mean anything that has been a selection on our podcast. The oldest movies we've watched. Coming in at number three is A Bucket of Blood from 1959. Coming in at number two is DOA from 1949. And the single oldest movie we've watched is It Happened on Fifth Avenue from 1947. Now, what that tells me is we need to go older. We got to throw some silence in the mix. (laughs) Uh, We got to get to the point where we're reviewing like the Moybridge horse photographs and some Lumiere shorts from 1895. I have been as a side thread for my re-engagement with cinema as an art form spurred on by this podcast. I have very slowly been going through this book called A Thousand and One Movies to See Before You Die. And it's a really good and comprehensive list of movies really rooted in kind of the classics and the evolution of the art form. And so I've watched some of those older movies. I watched the racist D.W. Griffith epic Birth of a Nation, and I watched the seven-hour French serial called Les Vampires, or I don't know how you say it in French, from 1915. Both of those were from 1915, so it's, yeah. But I think you're right. I think we need to get some of that onto this this show. As far as newest movies that we've seen, a three-way tie for second place, Parasite, High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, and Happy Death Day to You, all came out in 2019. So we had three 2019 selections and we've had one 2020 selection, our newest movie that is Palm Springs from 2020. I did a little bit of research of what are the most acclaimed and least acclaimed things that we've watched. Uh, The most acclaimed things that we've watched, I kind of have it broken down in four ways. IMDb rating, Letterboxd rating, Rotten Tomatoes score, and award season winners. So on IMDb, the highest rated thing that we've watched is Over the Garden Wall at an 8.8 out of 10. But I'll point out that on IMDb, TV shows tend to get much higher ratings than movies do. Movies are a little bit more competitive. Well, also the IMDb scale is like anything that a Hot Topic kid just saw that climbs to the very top of IMDb. So you got to take everything there with a grain of salt, even though I love Over the Garden Wall. 
my thought on IMDb is imagine what a junior in college would think. And that is what you will see reflected on IMDb. A, a junior in college who has maybe a vague interest in movies and becoming a movie buff. And I think that bears out pretty well if you look at the, the rating. If you rule out Over the Garden Wall because it's TV series and will be a little bit inflated, our highest rated actual feature length film is Parasite, 8.6. And it's in something like the top 50 movies all time on IMDb or something. I didn't get the where it placed on there, but it's definitely up there. You'll see that trend of Parasite topping the list continue on Letterboxd. Parasite is actually the single highest rated narrative film with at least 2,500 ratings. It's got a 4.6 out of 5. So Letterboxd does it out of 5. IMDb does it out of 10. Parasite's a 4.6 on Letterboxd. And on Rotten Tomatoes, Parasite is at a 98%. It's pretty uncommon for a movie with that many reviews to get that high a percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Definitely some kudos in store there. And then as far as award winners go, the biggest award in Hollywood is the Academy Awards Best Picture. And we have watched two Best Picture winners. That would again be Parasite and The Apartment from 1960, Billy Wilder. So those are some of our most acclaimed films. Moving on to least acclaimed, on IMDb, and this is including everything that we've watched, so not just featured selections. Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure, which is the high school musical spinoff that we watched in our, our high school musical extravaganza episode, has a 4.7 out of 10. Now, I will say that I am excluding Robert from 2015, which we reviewed on Buzzed On Movies, from most of these. I guess I'll mention the scores they got because I did jot it down. But mostly, well, in part because I, I like the idea of only reviewing what we talked about on our feed. But... Also, <laughs> I think Robert would dominate any negative-focused category going forward. I took a similar approach in that I'm going to mention Robert when the time calls for it, but I've offered in every case um, exceptions, things that were on our main feed. Because who knows? Someday this podcast may explode in popularity and we'll be guesting on podcasts every week and it would just be too much to ask our fans to keep track of all our appearances in the media. But for the time being, I, I consider Robert our red-headed stepchild. It's, it's part of the family. I mostly just don't want to talk about that movie. It's really what it boils down to. So Number 100 on my top 100 out of 100 movies ranked. On Letterboxd, the lowest rated movie is also Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure, though if you were to include Robert, it would be down at a 1.5. And I don't know if I mentioned IMDb, Robert would also beat out Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure at a 3.1. Rotten Tomatoes was the surprising one to me. I think I looked up every single movie that we've watched, and not a single one got below 50%. And that when we get to talking about some of our least favorite things... It's going to be a repeated theme. We mostly picked pretty good movies to watch. There's a couple of questionable picks, but in general, we picked well-regarded and pretty high-quality stuff to, to watch and talk about. Good stuff, you might even say. Yeah, so Kate and Leopold was our lowest-scoring entry on Rotten Tomatoes. It got 51%, which we actually spent some time discussing in that episode, saying that that indicates a toss-up. 
as many people liked it as didn't like it. But Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure got 60%. Nine whole points above Kate and Leopold. <laughs> which does not really gel with our experience. Yeah, we both liked Kate and Leopold more than Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure, as well as at least a couple others that we watched. But I would say that I think expectations goes into that. Like, The Last Day of Summer has something like a 65 or 66%. But I don't think too many people would be arguing that that is on the same grading scale as Kate and Leopold, which was like a high-budget romantic comedy released to theaters, you know? Um, I talked a little bit about that in our most recent episode. Rotten Tomatoes has the downside of, or perhaps upside, depending on your perspective, of being framed by what the reviewers' expectations were going into and and kind of what they were looking for from that film. But yeah, interesting that 51% Kate and Leopold was our lowest. Worth noting that Robert 2015 does not have a Rotten Tomatoes entry. You need to have a sufficient number of ratings to get an actual percent. And there were a handful of movies we watched that did not have a percent. It happened on Fifth Avenue also did not have a percent. There might have been one or two others that didn't. But you need, yeah, the Robert was not scored on Rotten Tomatoes. So we talked about Best Picture winners. The, the mirror image of that would be the Razzies, which is Hollywood's somewhat satirical kind of worst of the year award show. And I didn't go too exhaustive but i could not find any of our movies being nominated for razzies which i think goes back to the fact that we picked pretty good movies overall Uh, moving on to the longest and shortest movies we watched i decided to group by episode by content runtime for an episode rather than what is the longest individual thing because then you start to have weird provisos on stuff that counts and doesn't count So I just grouped it by episode. And no surprise, the longest content episode was our high school musical extravaganza that was centered around high school musical, the musical, the series. Came in at 718 minutes. Would not be shocked if this is broken. I think we have something up our sleeves that Brian has (laughs) brought up in multiple episodes that we will see probably by the end of this year. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I've got some plans for the summertime, but I'll give you fair warning. (laughs) And the shortest is It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, a 25-minute special. That was our our shortest content for an episode. Um, My next couple by-the-numbers bits are about our podcast specifically. So our ratings, summary by reviewer. So what have Brian and I given scores as? I I summed it up. Brian has given an average rating of a 5.38 out of 8. And I have given barely higher than that a 5.43 out of 8. Both of those would constitute as a high good on the the is it good scale. So we have been remarkably in the 5 to 6 range and very kind of tightly coupled with our scores, Brian. Yeah, not too much disparity between us in a given episode. The highest rated movie that we've watched on our Is It Good scale. We've had exactly one 16, and this would be two 8 out of 8s. Our, our, our masterpiece rating toward a good from both of us, and that would be Groundhog Day. We gave that a 16. Our lowest rated, again, excluding Robert, which we both gave a 1 out of 8. We gave Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure and The Last Day of Summer 
each of us gave it a three out of eight, which came to six total out of a possible 16 points between the two of us. Across 37 things that we've reviewed, we have matched 20 times, including our appearance on Buzzed On Movies. Pretty remarkable, more than half of things we've watched, we have had the exact same rating on. But we have had a few times that we've differed, and our biggest disparity was on our third episode, pretty early on, Everybody Wants Some. We had a disparity of four. I gave it a seven, an exceptionally good and Brian gave it a three, a not, not good. Yeah, we'll see the next time we review a Link Later movie <laughs> if our thoughts converge at all. I would say it probably depends on which Link Later movie, but... Yeah, runs the gamut a little bit. As far as a couple other numbers for our podcast, uh, number of guests. We've had four total guests across three episodes. On the House episode, we had Teddy and Matt from Buzzed On Movies. In the, the episode where we discussed the apartment, our friend Nate appeared. And on the episode where we talked about the Rockfire Explosion documentary, Brian's brother Andrew appeared to celebrate Brian's birthday. And we've guest appeared, as mentioned, one time on Buzzed On Movies, where we, of course, discussed Robert. So definitely check that out for full context on this special that we're doing here. Your completionist, yeah. Yeah, that was the fulfillment of my podcast dream. So we, we're there. We, we reached the big time. <laughs> Another thing I have here is number of listeners. So I created our feeds for Spotify and Apple Podcasts, etc. Uh, Podbean is kind of the source of all of that. Sometime around our fourth or fifth episode. We've had 557 listeners as of yesterday since we added the feeds and... I think we will not quite make it in February, but we have had more listeners every month with the exception of February having fewer than January, which if there were three more days, we would have passed January in February. But we also dropped a bunch of December's episodes in January, which kind of boosted those numbers. But our most popular episode is Over the Garden Wall, which has had 39 listeners. I'm hoping we can grow that number. I think one theme for the next 25 episodes is figuring out how we connect better with listeners. Sure. Still, 500 listeners is not too bad, even if probably maybe 10% of those are just us listening to our own podcast. Yeah, I was wondering, how many times have you listened to each episode once it gets posted? I know that you listen to it as you edit it, obviously, so. Right. I don't know. Well, I listen to every, I try to listen to every episode once as I edit and once afterwards when I edit, it's not really a continuous flow, but I, I don't know exactly how this number is counted. Like if I were to listen to one episode multiple times, if that would count multiple times, I'm really not sure. But what about you? I would say I've listened to most of our episodes twice on the podcast app and I'm using the Apple app. I don't know if that affects anything, but I would say twice each. And the over the garden wall, 39 listeners, it's, it's not a... Far from our most recent. It's so. not just us. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the goods by the numbers for episodes one through 25. Any thoughts before we jump into the reason that we're all here today, our awards season section, own podcast awards show? I just wanted to say that we do have a big spreadsheet of all our movies that we've watched and all our ratings. And... 
I don't know. It feels significant. It's like a monument <laughs> that the names. Uh, anytime there's a big list of things, I think of the Vietnam War Memorial. <laughs> it's it's it, this is a positive version of that, but <laughs> it's like wow, just the the impact of seeing all those yeah. movies listed. Our podcast has frequently been compared to the Vietnam Memorial. Yeah. It was my personal Vietnam, in the in the <laughs> words of President Trump. Right. <laughs> I also have a letterboxed list that I keep up to date. So another call to listeners. Look me up. I'm Dan S123 on Letterboxd. Come follow me. Come find the list of all the movies we've talked about. Be up to 37 by the time you're listening to this. Come find me. We'll connect. Yeah, I I won't be joining, but I will say I've tried to capture your spirit, Dan, in the last few weeks of watching other movies that I can bring into the discussion beyond what's been assigned. Just like how how do other things I'm watching echo and contrast with the assignment? Moving on to our awards show section. Been excited about this. I had this idea. It's grown in scope over time. First, it was just going to be the top five movies we've seen. Then I thought it would be fun to kind of do it like the Oscars, have different selections. So I don't have a name for this section. I, I kind of, maybe we can workshop it. I thought of like, you know, you have the Emmys, the Grammys. We could have the Goodsies. I don't know if that's a thing. I think the Goodies is better. If that's the route we're taking, I mean, Goodie is like an existing word. I don't know how you feel about that, but. I kind of like the badness of Goodsies. Like the fact that it's bad is kind of appealing to me. But I think you're right that maybe Goodies is the way to go. We'll workshop it. Maybe by the 50th episode, we'll have a consensus on that. So I've broken the awards into two sections. One is what I call meta. So things about the podcast itself. And one is movies. Things about the movies we've watched. So I think we'll start with the meta awards. And how I'd like this to go is... Brian, you can share your selection first, and then I'll share my selection. Okay. So I think we'll start with our meta awards, five categories here. Brian, what is your favorite running gag in this first 25 episodes of The Goods? So first off, I wanted to disclose that I have not been thinking about the meta awards quite as much. I didn't see this section. I I grabbed the wrong envelope off the podium, and so... I'm just a confused uh, Christopher Plummer up here. Or who who was it that grabbed the La La Land envelope? <laughs> was it Warren Beatty? Warren Beatty. Okay, that's who. And and Faye Dunaway, relevant for Network? Oh, good call. I knew it was some old guy. That sounds right. I rewatched that clip recently, and that was just truly wild. Like, you could almost not make up that that would happen. It was really strange. I was rooting for La La Land that year. I think there will be a La La Land episode at some point. But favorite running gag as far as something that comes up multiple times in the podcast. I have enjoyed the theory that we concocted that the way to get out of a time loop is to strike up a relationship with a brunette. That was on my short list. In fact, that was my runner up. I really like that one too. That's my pick. It's a little recent, but that's what I'm going to go with. My selection is how around December, 
you were managing to f- spin every single movie we picked as a Christmas movie. Uh, I really liked hearing your theories, and it, it gradually expanded. It was first movies that had Christmas sections, and then it was anything that took place in December or anything that came out in December, and it, it just kind of grew, and I, I'm looking forward to that network of holiday-themed movies continuing to expand to the point that we can include maybe every single movie as a holiday movie at some point. But it kind of renders the whole diehard argument moot when you, you uh, are as inclusive about what makes something a Christmas movie as you are, Brian. I, I suppose so. But the biggest expanse of that was 12 Monkeys. Well, <laughs> no, see, 12 Monkeys, it does take place at least largely in December. There's some time travel going on. But then I believe Nate in our discussion said, well, and it's got Bruce Willis. So <laughs> just any any movie with Bruce Willis now. Is a Christmas movie. I think also we counted Kate and Leopold. I think it came out either on Christmas or in December, even though it has nothing to do with holidays in it. That was a good one. Next category, favorite line or moment by the other. In that case where you would refer to something for me and I would refer to something for you. So there's two sections here, funny and insightful. So Brian, I don't know if you have a favorite line or moment by me that was funny. So... I considered going back through and listening to all of our episodes so far to pull out a specific moment. I did not do that. Maybe for episode 50 I will. I'll just say that I like how Dan is able to pull in... He just does his his research, I think, a little better than I do. And he'll be able to say, oh, this is the person from such and such movie. Which is not something I'm always able to do. Uh, The biggest laugh, though... I'm I'm going to have to look through my notes a little bit. <laughs> Cycle back to me. No worries. <laughs> what what is your what is your pick? I I will come up with something, but what is your pick? <laughs> my runner up and some a lot of these I I shortlisted and then you could basically pick anything from my shortlist. But back in the over the garden wall episode when you brought out your Jason Funderburker frog voice and said, "Hey, Sarah." That made me laugh really hard. And every time I've listened to that episode, which is probably two or three times, I've laughed really hard when you, you whip out your Jason Funderburker frog voice. Oh, man. I like that. I also uh, really enjoyed when you did the, for no Pacific reason, in the uh, Rock of Fire Explosion episode, which is a turn of phrase that one of the characters uses in, in that documentary that tickled me when I watched it. And more than I expected it to anyone else find amusing that he said for no Pacific reason, using the wrong word there. And then you brought it up and I kind of, uh, I laughed pretty hard. If you could go back and listen to me laughing for about 15 seconds after you, you brought that one up. So, Oh man, there's definitely moments you cracked me up. <laughs> I got to go, go back to the tape again, but th- that's maybe not the... Worst thing in the world. If this special encourages you, if this just pops up on your feed and you say, huh, I need to go back and listen to old episodes, then maybe we've done something worthwhile here. But my, uh, I, I agree. My actual winner, the one that I'm, I am selecting for this category, is when you mentioned that you get Lisa Frank and Anne Frank confused because they're both known for their diaries. I just thought that was a phenomenally funny line. So kudos. So, just because I don't want to shortchange you entirely, this wasn't a thing that you said, it was more a thing that you brought up, but the podcast where they watch 
the same terrible movie every week for a year. That <laughs> that really struck me as that is very funny to me. Yes, I'm glad. Not that I will pick my own funniest, but one that I listened back to and you laughed pretty hard on was in when we reviewed it happened on Fifth Avenue. I narrated an Amazon review and said at the end that I thought it was very likely that the reviewer was probably a racist. And you got you laugh pretty hard at that one. So. That's a good pick. I uh, I think I'll go with that. Thank you for researching and coming up with an answer that I could give. Well, it helps that I, I'm not that funny. And so the few times that I managed to get you to laugh stuck in my memory. So pivoting to similar category, but insightful. Favorite line or moment by the other that was insightful. Any picks on that? So I'll say that across the board, you're pretty insightful. And... If I don't have anything to say, sometimes I can just be quiet and the insights will flow. <laughs> That's generous to say. Um, I'm going to look at our list of movies that we've watched and I think I'll be able to come up with something. A time that you've shared significant insight. Uh, something I'm consistently impressed by is like when I will sell something short or just not think very highly of something often you'll have a compelling argument to turn me around and that is one of the reasons why our ratings so often align i i wonder if we like did a blind like survivor tribal council vote <laughs> where we just hold up our ratings to the screen if it would come out the same as often or did it before we recorded the podcast or something yeah if we if we podcast blindfolded or something. I try to never change my rating as we discuss. There have been one or two times I've broken from that. And one or two times when I've been really close from breaking from that, but then decided to stick with my initial guns. I'll share mine that I came up with. Uh, I had I had two picks. One was your thoughts on a Christmas carol as being a really meaningful story to you. Really raised my opinion and appreciation of a Christmas carol. Just how cinematic it is and how compelling the human story is of Scrooge and his moral revelation over the course of that story. I really appreciated. That was my runner up. My my winner was in the, the Pee Wee Christmas special episode. You talked a lot about how Pee Wee was an inspiration for you for Count Gauntley, how you really admired the team of artists, the sheer quantity of collaborative artistry in it. And it really made me both appreciate that series and its star a lot more and just kind of the creative talent behind it. But in general, made me a little more cognizant of when I'm watching something, of thinking about the collaboration of widespread talent that goes into making things. I really enjoyed that. Okay, I do have two specific moments of you being insightful that were meaningful to me. One is during the recent Time Loop Month when you were talking about what you would want out of a day that is looping, you said that you wanted one where you didn't interact with the people close to you. And I had never thought about that. And some of the reasoning behind that was you said you didn't want to generate a bunch of memories that you would have, but they wouldn't. That was a, a head scratcher for me. I, I, I think that's true. And not something I had considered previously. Then uh, the other bit of insight. Early on, it looked like we might end up differing in opinions more frequently than 
later episodes have come to suggest, but when we watched The Founder, he kind of showed me that it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) And where I'm at now in my opinions on that film are that I still like it, but I realize more and more that that's not very defensible. (laughs) I feel bad now. It's like, I, I have come to terms, I don't, I my rating of everybody wants some is not going to go up any, but there is a good chance that my rating for the founder will go down. <laughs> so kudos to you for that. I'm honored. Well, am I honored? I don't I don't like ruining things for people. I like the positivity of the goods, but I am glad to have connected with you with something I said. Next category, favorite episode note by the other. And when I say episode note, I mean, this is a little bit of info behind the scenes for listeners. Before each episode, we generate pretty detailed notes. So whoever's the host is responsible for creating the notes, writing out the recap, writing out the good things and not so good things. And the quote unquote guest, who's the one of us who's not hosting the episode, has a little bit less responsibility. But the uh, output of that is we have pretty good and pretty detailed episode notes for every episode we've recorded. And I've actually clicked through them a few times. I enjoy looking through them. And we sometimes mention either on air or off air when we appreciate something that someone wrote in the episode notes. And so I was wondering if you had any favorite episode notes from these first 25 episodes. Oh, man. So I feel less bad about not having an answer for this just because the (laughs) viewers have no... Sorry, the listeners have no way to evaluate our judgment call here (laughs) (laughs) they can't go check the book you know when you watch the oscars you can think about what the academy said and then you can go and watch the movie and form an opinion on that but these roadmaps that we make are not accessible to the public at least not yet so you you listening at home if you're not one of us listening back are not going to be able to second guess this call that we're making here that said I got to go back through them and and check. I I apologize again for not being better prepared for the meta section. Um, I promise in our next section of awards, I do have some to go, some ready to go. I'll toss out one time. I remember you called out something that I wrote and it was early on. It was when we talked about everybody wants some. I had a note to remind me to bring something up and I just wrote the word asses and you brought that up on air. Thank you again for being ready with something for me to say. So I I appreciate that. And I appreciate a good ass. (laughs) Go back and listen to the Everybody Wants Some episode. Although I will say that was probably our nadir in audio quality. We've only gotten better since then. Yeah, we we had a couple technical issues with that one, but I'm glad that you were able to salvage it. I was scrolling through the various 25 episodes worth of episode notes, and we typically use very generic formatting. But in the Kate and Leopold episode, I was scrolling through and it was all like just default, whatever font Google uses. And then in bold elevator questions you had in bold during the middle, right in the middle of the recap for the Kate and Leopold episode. And I liked how it was in bold when that's really not a mechanism we use for any of our episode notes. It made me laugh pretty hard when I saw it. So elevator questions. It's important. Uh, Last and perhaps flagship category in the meta section, favorite episode. Brian, did you have a favorite episode that we've done so far? Yeah. And this one, I think you can select one or just toss out a couple of favorites. 
So I wanted to kind of muse for just a moment on what we think makes a successful episode. And looking back, what stands out as one where we were really in the groove. And I guess we can each say what about our favorite episodes really seemed like we were riding high. So the ones that I've found I have enjoyed the most listening back are ones where we kind of stretched the format just a little bit and got a little creative with it. So one of my favorites, and I'm glad to hear that it gets the most listens, is Over the Garden Wall. I thought a mini-series worked well as a topic of discussion. So, you know, we weren't beholden to a beat-for-beat plot synopsis, and Over the Garden Wall is very episodic for most of its chapters. And so our discussion was mostly about flavor, what the music is like, what the art style is like, and I thought that worked well. Um, Also, I quite enjoyed our high school musical episode, how much work went into just watching (laughs) everything we needed to watch, and then that we had to discuss it all as a corpus. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I thought there was something meditational about that, considering the whole body of work. Yeah, I I think both of those are high in my mind. I'd say go listen to the High School Musical episode if you haven't. That one was really fun. That was the one where I got the idea of the mini recap because that's basically what I did for the three High School Musical movies and the Sharpay spinoff. Um, I do think we lost a little bit of steam. It went on quite long, about three hours. But that was a very fun one and that one's on my short list. I suppose if I'm officially giving out a statuette, I'll give it to the High School Musical episode. (laughs) So there's this music critic I like. His name is Stephen Hyden, and he's kind of the king of dad rock. So this would be (laughs) music that's not particularly trendy or cool. And I just think he's a good writer, and I like reading him. And I also tend to like dad rock, so I appreciate his opinions. But he has this article where he goes through each Bruce Springsteen album and determines whether it is overrated, underrated, or properly rated. And he's wrote something in that article that has stuck with me ever since. There's a Bruce Springsteen album called Nebraska. And he wrote that he thinks that album gets overrated. Great though it is, it gets overrated because of, quote, the strange criterion that an artist's least characteristic work should somehow be considered superior to his most characteristic. So on that front, I'm kind of going to <laughs> pivot from you a little bit where I, I think there's something to be said for when we do our thing and that's our thing and we do it well, even if it's less remarkable. Nonetheless, I am going to pick an episode that kind of breaks our format a little bit. And I'd say breaks it more than any other episode that we've done. And that is the Rock of Fire Explosion documentary episode where we had your brother on and we nominally talked about the documentary but mostly we just talked about rock of fire explosion as a concept as a thing and your brother's experience with it and i just thought that was a fun episode and it was really good if i'm going to go for an episode that's kind of more in our wheelhouse i recently re-listened to the some kind of wonderful episode after we talked about premature which has a lot in common with that and i thought we did a really good job of A, having things that we disagreed on and talked about in a meaningful way, and B, having like kind of a reason and a thesis and good conclusions on what we talked about. Those are are my picks. 
but I'm going with rocket fire explosion. Okay, new favorite Dan insight. That thing he just said <laughs> about the thing that is characteristic of the artist. That's what you should be thinking about. And, you know, it's characteristic of the artist for a reason. That's, that's wise. I appreciate that. But I will say, Brian, I don't think there's been any bad episodes we've done. I'm proud of the, the work we've done. And as we transition away from our meta awards, just want to thank you once more for joining me on somehow 25 episodes of The Goods. Well, thank you. I think we've got some more in the pipeline. It's definitely been a lot of fun. So hopefully they're fun to listen to as well. <laughs> I think they are. I've, I feel like especially with something like this, it's hard to gauge, you know, we're, we're so involved in it that to have an outside perspective is difficult. But, you know, at, at a certain point, you got to make the stuff that you would want to hear. And, and hopefully that's what we've done. And that's been my philosophy in general. I'd rather do something that I personally am proud of than the thing that I think will get the most engagement the most superficial engagement, I guess, like number of viewers, etc., number of listeners. Now it's time to talk a little bit about some of the movies that we have talked about on The Goods. And I will remind you that here, movies is a stand-in for any selection that we have rated on The Goods. I'm excluding Robert 2015 as the one thing that we reviewed on another podcast, although you feel free to bring it up. Got it. The first category is Biggest Surprise. So this would be the movie that most differed. I was thinking positively. It doesn't have to be positively, but most differed from your expectations going in. So, Brian, what was your biggest surprise in 25 episodes of The Goods? Okay. So the movie that gets this award from me is 12 Monkeys. And I guess it's not that I had low expectations going in. There was a little bit of an expectation that because it was a predestination time travel movie that I might not be super into it, but I really vibed with the unique aesthetic and style that Terry Gilliam has in that movie. The flying ITV and Bruce Willis's weird hazmat suit, just all the art design and right. music choices I, I ended up quite enjoying. Now, what about you? What was your biggest surprise? For me, it was the Rock of Fire Explosion documentary. I thought it was going to be just kind of a novelty look at a thing. I did not expect a very compelling consideration, contemplation, meditation on the nature of growing up and leaving behind childhood fancies and also what is the purpose of physical things that serve no real purpose in life other than to entertain and bring joy. Are those things just going to end up in the dump? Is there value in maintaining things like that? And what I expected to be kind of just a dumb, maybe not dumb, but not very challenging view ended up really resonating with me, giving me a lot to think about. And so that was my biggest surprise. Well, I'm glad to hear that one spoke to you. I maintain that it was a good birthday selection. I'm excited to see what you come up with in June. We'll see. I have a couple ideas. Next category, best scene. So, Brian, did you have a best scene from the 25 episodes we've done so far? Yeah, so for a couple of these categories, I've got like a few honorable mentions that I wanted to shout out. 
First, I wanted to shout out, like, every scene in House. (laughs) That one, as a movie, I did not rate as highly as Dan or either of our two guests, the hosts from Buzzed on Movies. Because it was just so out there. Like, I couldn't in good conscience go up to somebody I didn't really know and say, Hey, watch this. Because it is just completely bonkers. But... There are plenty of scenes in the movie that I think are just so artistically striking they demand to be acknowledged. Some other really good scenes. The scene in Return of the Living Dead when they're fighting the first zombie that comes out of the freezer. And just everybody is screaming (laughs) and they pin it to the floor with the pickaxe and it's still writhing around and they just don't know what to do. I really quite like that scene. But... I think the one that gets the award for me is in Parasite when the Parks come home and the Kims have to sneak out of the house without being seen. The way that's shot and edited and is so tense and is done almost wordlessly is really masterful. Well, Brian, we're going to match up on a category here because that is what I picked. It's kind of hard to break it down into a scene because it goes on for like 20 minutes. So I kind of feel cheating. But from the appearance of the old housekeeper and the arrival of the Parks through the escape of the Kims, that segment just utter masterpiece blew my mind. Everything you just said, I'm completely with you. That is my pick as well. A couple of runners up, two of which I thought might be on your list but probably would have been if you had gone a few deeper, might have been on your list. One is the from the founder, the bit where they have a quick montage on the creation of McDonald's. And it's easily the most compelling moment of that film where they kind of show how McDonald's was founded. And there's this bit where they have to figure out how to get it to work super smoothly and efficiently. And it's just a very it could have been its own little mini documentary or mini film it was like 10 or 15 minutes or whatever however long it was that was really good the the other one i wanted to call out is the auntie whispers episode from over the garden wall which has tim curry playing this really creepy animated uh mom or i guess auntie of this this other girl and to me that was just the pinnacle of that show in the vibe of it I think our discussion of that episode is a really strong point of our podcast. I've enjoyed listening back. And my last runner-up was Groundhog Day has a lot of great moments, but the one that like basically brought me to tears this time around and really resonated with me is when he tried to help a homeless man survive the day and just could not manage to get him to survive. And it kind of brought back this awe of death and life and the precariousness of it that had been kind of lost during the suicide portion of his time looping was another very resonant one for me. Moving on to best line or quote from a film. So Brian, I don't know if you managed to look at our list and come up with a favorite line or quote from our 25 episodes so far. So this was pretty challenging because you need to have really good recall to pull a specific line we've been watching a lot of movies agreed uh so 
I, I was also struggling with thinking about, you know, if, if you pull anything from A Christmas Carol that's a good line, chances are it's a Charles Dickens line. And does that really come from a movie or is that from an old book? I, I was thinking about the persistence speech that um, Roy... Cr oh, I called him Roy. <laughs> he, he's Ray. Ray Kroc. Uh, that Ray Kroc keeps repeating in the founder i, I kind of like that but i mean it's possible that was a real record they ripped that from i think what i'm gonna go with and i may have something better researched for episode 50 but i like in groundhog day when he's with the two guys at the bar and he says what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing that you did mattered and the guy says that's pretty much it for me. Like, just th that being a relata relatable sentiment, even for somebody not trapped in a time loop. It's a good moment. I agree. Now, where do you fall on this category? So I had a couple of nominees. I'll say I knew I, I knew my winner had to be from Network, because that's the movie with the great rants. That was going to be, my winner was going to come from there. And you'll see I went the predictable route. I went with the entire i'm not going to take this anymore rant i think that movie has been typecast or maybe not typecast but somewhat misrepresented in its cultural footprint for that line as almost a hammy thing but in context it's this really evocative and long i mean i don't know a better word than rant about the decline of society it opens with I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work and or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. And it goes on and on like that for in the realm of minutes, let's say. And it ends with him imploring everyone to open their windows and shout, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. And... It's just a really riveting monologue. I, I really loved it. And it stuck with me. Uh, so that's my pick. Network does have some fantastic writing throughout, for sure. My, my runners-up are, there's so much room for activities from Step Brothers, with John C. Riley doing a little dance in the background. In the apartment, I really liked the recurring use of structure where Jack Lemmon's character would say, kind of yoda style something happens something wise and the one that gets kind of brought out as like this uh repeated bit when shirley mclean realizes that she wants to be with bud jack lemon's character is that's the way it crumbles cookie wise which i used as the episode title for that episode i will say i think our episode titles have gotten consistently better as it's gone along. <laughs> I've enjoyed the picks that you've been making. I'm glad. And then my last runner-up comes from Everybody Wants Some when they have they keep talking about the concept of fuck withery and another one I used as an episode title where towards the end of the episode the main character sees some of his buddies and he calls them Mi Amigos de Fuck Withery, which is just a great bit of wordsmithery by Richard Linklater, which I really appreciated. So, But I'm going to go with the mad as hell and not going to take this anymore monologue from Network as my, my winner. 
somewhat unrelated, but I think my favorite of our episode titles so far was one of those disappearing elevator movies for <laughs> Kate and Leopold. That's something that one of us said in the episode. I can't remember. The The next category is best musical moment, which will probably be less relevant in future 25th episode spectaculars, but we had quite a few musicals that made an appearance here. And I'm, as well as movies that had memorable musical moments that weren't musicals. So I'm curious where you went with this, Brian. Oh, it won't be any less prominent for the 50th if I have anything to say about it. I consume a lot of musicals in general, but, uh, you know, earlier Dan was talking about his history, uh, listening to music and writing about music. For me, to, like, get into a song or a piece of music, it really has to have been in a movie or a show. Like, I associate the music that I like, like, oh, what's that from? It has to be from something for, for me to really get into it and associate memories with it. I mean, it could just be what was playing when I had such and such an experience, but definitely a lot of my favorites uh, could be called soundtrack music. And I will say, going back to prepare for this episode, I am tempted to create a soundtrack album just of stuff from this podcast. Uh, that's a fun idea. Yeah. What I ended up with was just like a lot of bullet points of honorable mentions. Uh, even Will Ferrell performing Poor T. Volare <laughs> from Step Brothers. Is it, it's, he's a pretty good singer. Like, not my favorite movie, but I enjoy the music moment. You got the Irish cover of Can't Help Falling in Love by Lick the Tins from Some Kind of Wonderful. Sal's Birthday, performed by Aaron Fector in Rock of Fire Explosion. We're having a birthday party. I enjoyed you and Andrew's rendition of that in our episode. Yeah, all kinds of evocative music. The, the Pottsfield tune from Over the Garden Wall. Oh, man. I actually had uh, my own separate little section that I put together here of just thoughts on the high school musical soundtrack, <laughs> uh, which just quickly to say is that I was thinking, like, when was the music the best and when were other aspects the best? And I, I think the most powerful song, at least in High School Musical 1, for me, was Breaking Free. I think they did a good job with that one. I don't know. It's just soaring flying pretty good pretty good stuff they're doing there i think visually the most compelling number was i want it all from high school musical three where they just have a ton of different set pieces that they're going through that's a great one i love that one to the point that they like bring in the entire statue of liberty up out of the floor and they make some joke about sequels pay better <laughs> just as they're demonstrating that the budget is much higher now but i think the the best overall union of music and visual in high school musical i would give it to status quo mm. i thought the choreography there is really strong you know it's advancing the narrative of the story and there's a lot of stuff going on you got the skater dudes too that's right that i want to know more about one of my favorite bits that i unfortunately had to cut from the episode because future research revealed that i was wrong was when i broke the news to brian that the cello guy was dead. Turns out he's not dead. But I had seen something online that made me think he was dead. But the guy who calls the cello a saw. Yeah, I thought he was dead. And, and we, we talked about that for a few minutes. 
he's he's still among us Uh, but the one that takes the prize for me for best musical moment is the singing marines at the start of peewee's playhouse christmas special oh curveball that's good that's a good pick what about you i'm interested to hear your thoughts I decided not to stack too deep on this because we did have quite a bit of good musical stuff. I went with, okay, here's my honorable mentions. You didn't bring up any of the Christmas Carol musical stuff. And I thought there was quite a bit of good stuff from that. If I had to pick the single best number from any of the Christmas Carol musicals we listened to, I went with Thank You Very Much from Scrooge 1970. Just this darkly hilarious bit from Christmas Future where these masses are celebrating the death of Scrooge and Scrooge, who is there via ghost of Christmas future, doesn't realize that they're celebrating his death. He thinks they're just celebrating him. And that's just a powerful moment for me. My moment from a non-musical that I thought of as a favorite is from 12 monkeys. When he listens to blueberry Hill on the radio and gets really stirred by it. And then when he comes back to the future, these scientists like surround him and sing Blueberry Hill in this very David Lynchian surreal moment. I really loved. A moment of goods-inspired synergy that I've experienced recently. I came across a cover of Blueberry Hill by the Rock of Fire Explosion. Oh, wow. There's a lot of stuff feeding into that. I also want to say... Breaking Free was my runner-up, but here's the twist. Both Breaking Frees, the one in High School Musical and the one in High School Musical, the musical of the series, I think both are very evocative. I would give the edge to the original, but there is such chemistry in the TV series version as well. But for my winner, I am going to go with the High School Musical moment, and I really didn't have to think twice about this. This was my instant pick. In High School Musical 1, we're all in this together. Just iconic so stirring and if you're of this age and this temperament one of the important things in pop culture we're all in this together that music video that song the fact that they made it into like a cheerleader chant but also this rousing closer to this left field instant classic musical that resonated with so many people our age despite its cheap production values that to me is my pick no ifs, ands, or buts. That, that's the one. Our next two categories are in relation to what we had previously rated. So what are some movies, or what is the movie, if you had to pick one, that you would give a lower rating on the Is It Good scale than you gave it in the moment, upon retrospect or perhaps revisit? Brian, what is, what is your pick? Looking back, I was struck by how well-reasoned my ratings were. They, they may not be objective, but I, you know, I, I thoroughly consulted my opinions and made a judgment call that I think still stands. But if I had to re-rate, what I'm looking at is I've currently got It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. It's six, very good. I might bump that down to a five. So not super dramatic, but I think that's what I'm looking at. (laughs) That's fair. What about you? So I had a few in both what would you rate higher and what would you rate lower. 
And I'll pick the one I think is most deserving, as well as the runner-up. So for me, the runner-up on what would you rate lower is DOA. I gave it a six, very good. I honestly cannot remember why I did. And even in the moment, if you listen to me, I'm just like, yeah, it's a good film noir. Very good. I think that would probably be a five on Revisit. But for me, the one that I would definitely rate lower, I gave it a five. To me, it's the epitome of a good-ish, a four, is Kate and Leopold. There's a couple of memorable things. There's lots of stuff that's either forgettable or a catastrophe of sorts, but it's still a pleasant watch. I would give Kate and Leopold a four instead of a five if I were to rate it today. Man, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's it's a point. It's a point one way or the other, so I, I can't take that as too much of a gut punch, but uh, Kate and Leopold stays a pretty solid five for me. Um, well, you know what? I'm glad that despite the elevators, it still ranks pretty highly for you. <laughs> I can't, I can't do my boy Hugh wrong. <laughs> now we're going to talk about a movie that we would have rated higher than we did upon initial watch. Brian, what's a movie that we watched that you would rate higher than you did on the is a good scale in the moment? So this was early in our show. And I gave it a seven to begin with, mm. but I'm going to bump Parasite up to a full eight. I think it deserves it. Our masterpiece rating, Torde Good. Reviewing for this special presentation, I was strongly tempted to go and watch it again. And I haven't yet, but I, I think I will. Uh, this is a very well done film. That one's on my short list. I didn't want to jump the gun and give an eight in our fourth episode. Our, our masterpiece rating toward a good, but I think going back, I very likely would give it an eight. I still don't know how I feel about the last 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is, but mm -hmm. I think that's very defensible. And again, it was on my short list. The rest of my short list, I gave happy death day a six when I have only fond memories of that movie, despite mainly the reason I knocked it down to a six instead of a seven was the twist ending that I thought didn't make any sense. I care less about that now. I would probably give that a seven if we were to watch that again. I gave the founder a three, which is a not, not good. That might've been a little harsh. I kind of like that. I went there and just gave it the lower rating of what I was thinking. Probably didn't deserve it relative to the other threes that we've picked. So maybe that would be a four. The last one, the one I'm going to give the bump to <laughs> It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I gave it a five. I think I should have given it a six. And here's why. This is solely the reason that... I'm kind of with you that I didn't hate any of my ratings. I could live with all of them. Um, but this one, for me, the Christmas Charlie Brown is an indisputable eight in my head. And I could not live with the idea that the Great Pumpkin was three whole ratings lower than it. Because it's... Basically the same style of special. So I think I would give that a six if I were to rate it today. So if you've listened to this whole special presentation, that's probably going to be over two hours. That This is the biggest news. The biggest breaking news to come out is that we flip-flopped on our ratings for Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm fonder of the Charlie Brown movies than you are, so it fits. 
All right, the next category we have is worst actor or actress in an appearance in one of the 36 things we reviewed on our podcast. This is going to be fun. <laughs> what is your pick, Brian? Who was the worst actor or actress? Okay, so what it really comes down to is how mean you want to be to children. <laughs> you steal my thunder. That's my exact thought as well. Because I think the the one who just takes this award and runs away with it is Jansen Panettiere for me from The Last Day of Summer. I think if he were not Hayden Panettiere's younger brother, he would not be on the stage. I don't know. He just, he's obnoxious to me. I thought he legally renamed himself that little shit. Maybe I, I was wrong on that. <laughs> if we're giving some slack to the kids who are just starting out, my my second pick would just be a slightly older kid, which would be Flynn Allen as Paul the Boy from Robert 2015. <laughs> if if Robert is, is off the table, then Jansen just earns it all the more. Uh, because... Third place for me, Dan lumped in actor and actress in this category. We're being uh, gender neutral in our worst judgment. But but third place for me is Judith Haley as Agatha, the old maid from Robert 2015, who curses the family with the doll. Fourth place, to bring it squarely into our main body of considered films, uh, Eric Stoltz from some kind of wonderful he he is very solidly blah for me <laughs> i had a really hard time with this category i spent a lot of time thinking about it and scrolling through our options oh i i should have said that jansen panettiere skates away with this <laughs> yeah he's uh what's the phrase that snake uses he, he was seven with his ride which was six more than he should have been good good goal I had a hard time with this category in part because there was no one performance that ruined a movie for me. The closest was Jansen, our boy Jansen, from the most recent episode. I did not want to be that mean to a kid. I feel like if you're watching a movie that have has actual middle schoolers as the cast, you need to be adjusting your grading curve accordingly in that spirit i he's a runner-up but he's not a pick although i do think he was the most well let me take a step back and say i think a meaningful way to think about it is which performance most negatively impacted your perception of the movie and i do think jansen is a good pick for that there's one you didn't mention brian that i thought you were going to mention it's not on my list but i thought it might have been on yours and that is Albert Finney as Scrooge in Scrooge 1970. Ooh, that does drag the movie down for me. You're right. If you use my rule of which performance most impacted your perception, I felt like that would have been there for you. Yeah, I agree. If that had been the criteria I was looking at, you're probably right. Another one that I thought of that was a recent one was Katie Findlay in Premature. I was pretty all in on premature minus a couple things. And one of those is Katie Findlay doesn't seem to have any interiority. If you watch that movie, like she's just as reading lines and she's 
pretty and she has good chemistry with the main actor and she's fine, but she's pretty blah. Um, and Leia Thompson in Some Kind of Wonderful is a similar boat where she's fine. I was mostly negative towards her. If you go listen to our episode, that's one of our bigger disagreements. You were pretty fond of her and I was pretty negative towards her. But I am going to go with a Some Kind of Wonderful pick here just because I could not come up with anything better. And I'm going to pick Eric Stoltz because he has basically since become a euphemism for anyone who's vaguely charming but is also just a bland sack of white flour on the screen. And that is what Eric Stoltz is in that movie. He, You think he maybe has depth because he's got this charm, he's got these eyes, and then he just doesn't. He's just nothing. So he's my pick, even though I don't feel like there were any out-and-out catastrophes in these 25 episodes other than middle schoolers. So something that I found out recently, I've been trying to find out if I had seen anything else with Eric Stoltz in it. He's in a sequel to the Jeff Goldblum Fly movie. Also, I found out that in deleted scenes from Pulp Fiction, one of the deleted scenes has Eric Stoltz, and one of them has the star of Bucket of Blood. Mm. Dick Miller. Interesting. So, these are the things I like to look for. The the goods expanded universe. (laughs) Moving on, we have Best Actor. Brian, who's your pick for Best Actor? So again, I wanted to shout out a couple honorable mentions. I think Bill Murray gives a really good performance in Groundhog Day. You really buy the emotional stages that he's going through. I think Peter Finch does a great job in Network as Howard Beale, the mad newsman. And he gets to give a lot of great rants. I love Magic Johnson's cameo inside the magic screen in Pee-wee's Christmas special. (laughs) That's pretty great. Uh, But I think I have to give the award to the actor who plays Mr. Kim in Parasite. Oh, good pick. He's great. I should have put him on my short list, but I didn't. Yeah, he's awesome. And of course, I should actually have his name written down, but I I didn't. That's my my Western bias. I, I, I... We'll put it in the text. Song Kang Ho. Song Kang Ho. Something like that. There there we go. <laughs> the father of the Kim family. I had a really hard time with this category too because there was no one performance that I looked at and said, that performance made that movie. I look back on that movie. I think of how good they were above anything else. There were a couple of close ones and there is in fact one person who fits that mold but i just wasn't quite fond enough of the movie for it to make the pick and that is hugh jackman and caden leopold i think he makes that movie he's so charming and funny and he just got the you'd believe every component of his character i also thought of michael kane as scrooge and in muppet christmas carol he's just a cantankerous dude it's a good reading of scrooge and and he's enjoyable the whole way through i thought of linus in it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, as this this undoubting believer in the Great Pumpkin. He really made that. I don't know if you chalk that up to his performance, but it's a good character, at least. Yeah, see, though, there are some strong children actors in the <laughs> Peanuts shorts. Good point, yeah, because they're actually children actors. 
I also had Bill Murray on my short list, but I ultimately didn't pick him because I think he's just basically being Bill Murray, which is a little bit less impressive. Yeah, he always does the same type of thing where he's like the funny asshole. Yeah, he's just being cynical. It's entertaining and he hits the beats well. And in fact, he does a little bit extra when he's going through the all the existential shit. My last runner-up is from the Rock of Fire Explosion, Chris Thrash. Just love this dude. Loved every minute we spent with him. Want to spend more minutes with him. He's the super fan who built his own Rock of Fire Explosion. I don't know what you call it. Setup. Yeah, and he programs custom shows and stuff. But my winner is not even the best performance in his movie, I don't think. But the one who, without this actor, the movie would be way worse. And that is Jack Lemmon in The Apartment. I think he's the best best actor among the 37 things that we watched. I think he manages to be a funny, pathetic loser that is still somehow charming. You buy that he's all the bad things that he should be in his role, but you still root for him and he is just charming to watch. And I know that Nate was maybe less fond of him when we did that recording, but I don't care. I I still think he makes that movie along with Shirley MacLaine and he's my pick. Nice. Moving on to best actress, Brian, who do you think was the best actress among the movies we watched in these 25 episodes? So this for me was a pretty clear two-way tie. So I guess not clear. It was it was a very balanced between these two performances. So one is Jessica Roth as the lead tree in the Happy Death Day movies. Now, this might partially be because it's fresh in my mind, but I, I thought she gave a really strong performance. Uh, we talked about it in the show, but she goes through the emotional stages of time loop anxiety you know the only female lead so far in one of these time loop movies we've been considering and i i thought it was compelling but the second person that i really wanted to single out is faye dunaway in network a powerhouse performance she's amazing in that movie i had immediately thought of six people like the for the best actor category i had a hard time coming up with one that just really blew me away. With Best Actress, I, without hesitation, came up with six that I really wanted to just sing to the mountains how good they were. And you just listed two of them. And in fact, you picked my winner, but not the same one. I thought this was going to be controversial, but you had her as a runner-up. Jessica Roth in the Happy Death Day movies. I really feel like she elevated the material quite a bit for what could have been a throwaway. She really sold it from an acting perspective and hit all the notes she had to hit. So I'm very much with you there. I think that's a good uh, runner-up for you. That's that's my pick. My runner's up, and I again, I had a really hard time narrowing it down. Mary Stewart Masterson is Watts in Some Kind of Wonderful. I thought it was amazing. Olivia Rodrigo in High School Musical, the musical, the series. I thought she was a great lead. If you want to talk about children who uh, elevated their material as opposed to bringing it back, dragging it down. Oh, for sure. Shirley MacLaine in The Apartment is actually probably my true runner-up. She was awesome. Super fond of Kristen Milioti in 
Palm Springs, and Faye Dunaway from Network, your pick was right there for me too. So I thought we had an awesome slate of acting from the, the female side this time around. Yeah, I agree. So what about your worst movie from the, the 25 episodes that we had? So this is my most confident answer. Gotta be Robert. <laughs> but if we're not considering Robert, the question becomes a little more nuanced. I do recommend, though, listeners, if you haven't heard our collab uh, where we appeared on the Buzzed on Movies podcast and covered Robert, a 2015 film about a haunted doll. Uh, the real haunted doll is located in Key West, Florida, but the movie for some reason takes place in the United Kingdom. And it's a very low-budget production, and it shows in every aspect. Uh, so certainly deserving. We both gave it a one, which has not happened otherwise. I don't think either of us has given a one to any other movie we've talked about. Okay, well, I do have a fallback. Is uh, The second one for me is Step Brothers. I thought it was pretty crass, fewer redeeming qualities than anything else that I gave a three to. So if it's got to be one that got its own episode here on our main feed, it's Step Brothers for me. What about you? This is a category where it shows that I feel like we had pretty good picks overall. Other than Robert, no ones or twos out of eight among 37 picks. I guess 36 picks if you exclude Robert. I had a hard time. I, I really did. It feels kind of cheap to pick Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure, in part because it was slightly better than I was expecting. That's probably my pick, though. It might actually be... It's real close. My other threes were The Last Day of Summer, the middle school time loop movie we just watched. I also gave... The Founder, our second movie that we ever watched, a three out of eight, although I feel I might have been a little harsh there. But to me, those three movies are three different types of not so great. You have the disappointing stab at goodness with The Founder. You have the kidified version of something good in The Last Day of Summer. And you have the cash-in spinoff in Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. If I'm choosing one, I guess I'm going with Sharpay, although it's tight. But really, it's got to be Robert. Let's just go with Robert. That makes it easy. <laughs> He's not going home without a statue tonight. <laughs> Finally, we come to our top five best movies, favorite movies, most good goods movies. So, Brian, what is your number five best movie okay so it sounds like we're considering any entry so a tv entry counts as a movie is that accurate yes i would say anything that we have rated is is valid okay all right then number five for me is over the garden wall mm. now as i went through i i tried not to be too biased to my own picks i tried to Consider all things equally. Love all our children the same. Uh, and I enjoy this one. I think we put together a strong episode covering it. I like to watch it in the fall. Uh, interesting artistic choices in this miniseries. And it's a brisk watch. 
It's a good pick. It's one I like too. It's not in my top five though. My number five, I very much predict is not in your top. I thought about it. It's TV shows. It's really hard to rate because there's a lot of stuff and some of it's good and some of it's not so good. Right. My number five is High School Musical, the musical of the series. This one really stuck with me. I only gave it a six out of eight. And I kind of feel like it doesn't deserve better than that because it's got segments that are very forgettable. It starts out with one tone and it gets a lot nicer and more generous towards its characters in the second half. But it stuck with me. I've thought about this a lot. I've watched a lot of clips from it. I've watched the whole series twice so far. I'm looking forward to the second season, although I predict it is a letdown because I don't know how it can recapture the same magic. I really like this. It made me want to hop in and be in this musical and be in the drama club myself. So High School Musical, the musical of the series. Okay, well, it's number number four now. This is 12 Monkeys for me. Mm. It's one that, like I said, I went in not really knowing what to expect. And I was pleasantly surprised. Love everything about the art direction. It does some interesting stuff with time travel. But I I mostly enjoyed seeing this vision of... Especially the way that Gilliam made the future look. As being like a, a rat in a weird cage. That's a great one. That's one that I could have bumped up to a 7. I had it at a 6. So where are you at for number four, Dan? Another one that I am highly confident is not on your top five. For me, it's a movie I've watched four times, and every time I've watched it, I've liked it more than the last time. And I don't know how many things there are I can say where that is true. This is the hangout college comedy, Everybody Wants Some. I just love watching this movie, wishing I was in their world. Just the way it captures such a specific vibe with such precision and artistry. I don't know. I I just, it's a delight for me. It's candy almost for me. I had it at a seven and I would stick with that at this point. That is an exceptionally good, you had it much lower than that at a three. But for me, that's, it it places in my top five. You're right. That one is not on my top five. (laughs) Uh, It does capture an aesthetic they really invested themselves in creating a bunch of different hangouts. There's the honky tonk bar and the disco bar. and But what it boils down to plot wise is a bunch of guys going to parties in 1980. And that's the plot. I mean, there's, there's, there is no more to it than that. <laughs> so your mileage is going to vary depending on how much you appreciate a realistic depiction of that event. I, I don't dispute anything you just said. What's your number three best movie or selection? Okay, so this is going to be another example of where I didn't want to rate my own picks too highly. Uh, but number three for me is Return of the Living Dead. Mm. This is a, a film that I think is very well put together for what it is. I love how it builds the sense of disaster and chaos from the opening of the can of worms or zombies at the beginning of the story things only ever get worse. And I appreciate it more each time I watch it. I can respect that. You pointed out, and I was grateful for this, that that movie is composed of a lot of hilarious screaming. Just the 
the characters spend a lot of time screaming amidst the escalating chaos and I don't know. I thought that was a good insight. I enjoyed that. So <laughs> What's your third from the top pick? I'm guessing this is your number two or number one. And that is Parasite. For me is my number three. It's just a, a marvelous piece of filmmaking, great use of physical space, great escalating tension, just an all-timer scene, if you can even call that 20-minute segment a scene, where we learn about the underground lair, and then the parks arrive, and the Kims are trying to escape unscathed and undetected. And there's other good stuff in it too, but that movie is just... It's great, and it, it's the rare time that a Best Picture winner was probably the best movie of that year. I will say that I do have that higher up on my list, and it's the very next one. So here at number two, I have Parasite from 2019. We're recording pretty late at night here, just past midnight, and I am at the point where I'm deciding, do I go straight to bed after I'm done here, or do I do something before I go to bed? And if I do something before I go to bed, I think what that thing will be is watch Parasite again. So I, I just might do that. I've already watched <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow for our official episode discussion this week, but another rep of Parasite might be called for. Nice. What's your number two? My number two is House. 1977. This movie blew my mind. It's a horror movie that is also just an experimental visual what weird shit can we put on screen movie that is also like weirdly evocative. It's not just a technical achievement. It's also it's not scary. It's a horror movie, but it's not scary, but it's it's just got these awesome segments of surprising terror. I watched 15 Minutes with my wife the other day just to make sure that it really was that good as it was in my memory. This was another candidate for biggest surprise because I, I expected it to be fun and good, but I didn't expect it to really engage me. But it did. It, it earned that 8 out of 8. And this was a movie that really showed me how the art of cinema can surprise you and engage you in, in different ways. And if that sounds like an exaggeration, just go watch the movie. It's, it's just something bizarre and fun. And that's all I got to say. Well, I agree with that. I did not have house in my top five, but I easily could have had it at biggest surprise. And that's not because I wasn't expecting it. You know, I, I knew it was going to be weird, but you just never know what's going to happen in that movie. If anyone tells you that they know what's coming up next in House, they're selling you a bill of goods. They are lying to your face. <laughs> because it is unpredictable. There's just so much invention. It kind of blew my mind. We might have the same number one. I think we might. And, and if we do, it's just because... I mean, we avoided giving the movie that I'm about to say its own dedicated episode because I think we were afraid it would make things lopsided. And, and now that it's on the table, we got to consider it. And I think that's what it does because I have it number one, Groundhog Day. That's my number one as well. All right, then we're in agreement. 
it is the only one we both gave perfect scores of 8 to. And this is just one that we both enjoyed a lot going in before we even made our podcast. So one of the good things about our show is that we can take a look at things that we haven't seen yet and kind of come at things fresh. Uh, Groundhog Day, we knew, and a lot of our listeners probably already know, is a great movie. Well-written, good performance, and just a tackling of a unique subject that in recent years, as we found, has become less unique. But only probably because it was done so well in this initial chapter. So, you know, for like 20 years, people didn't touch it, and now everybody wants to pay tribute. I agree. This time watching it in 2021, I watched it on Groundhog Day, February 2nd, was my favorite time I've ever watched the movie. And it was already a favorite of mine. It's really remarkable how much it perfects a story type, a structure of a plot that was so innovative in its time. And yet it defined and clearly outlined the rules and the plot points you got to hit and the emotional beats. And it, it's just a masterpiece. It really is. I mean, I am on the record and saying that I think there is a fundamental flaw in the movie, which is that I do not buy the Andy McDowell romantic element, which is ostensibly like the central thing. But really, it's not. Really, it's about this dude this crisis of having to live the same day over and over again and how he copes with that and how he lives it differently. And that's just such a fascinating thought experiment. And the depiction of it is so profoundly exciting, occasionally moving, funny, compelling. It's just watchable. Bill Murray is a bit too Bill Murray in the romance aspect, whatever. It's a masterpiece. It's a great movie. It's up there in my top movies ever. Higher than ever in 2021. So I'm with you. Number one for me as well. Wow. So now we're in the end game of our little special here. I'm. This has been enjoyable. Yeah. Glad we got to do this. I, I didn't know how it would be going in, but hopefully you've gotten something out of it listening as well. One thing I wanted to throw out before whatever else Dan has got planned to close is I wanted to give a, a few corrections. And I guess usually the correction section goes at the beginning because it's boring and nobody really cares. But I, I wanted to say that in the network episode, I referred to a network. I said it was CBS that was owned at one point by General Electric. It was actually NBC, the network that was owned by General Electric was NBC. Uh, the other correction I wanted to issue is I said that Dario Argento made Zombie 2, the Italian sort of sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Uh, that's incorrect. Lucio Fulci made Zombie 2. Dario Argento oversaw the Italian edit of Dawn of the Dead, which was released as Zombie. So Dario Argento is connected to Zombie did not make Zombie 2. That was Lucio Fulci. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, please, if you are a dedicated listener, call us out in the comments if we get something wrong. Because <laughs> I'm sure there have been other times. Oh, I mean, I've made so many misspoken names or dates or connections that I'm not even going... I didn't even think about it. 
the thought didn't cross my mind that I needed to correct something. You know, you talk about movies one to two hours a week, every week for half a year. You're going to make mistakes. So I forgive you that for that, Brian. Well, thank you. This is my con- my confession. <laughs> Confessional. But you're also going to watch some good movies, collect some good thoughts, make some, some good bonds with your fellow podcast host. And so on that note, I just want to one more time say thank you to you. Thank you to the listeners. It's been a good 25 episodes, and I am fully stoked for another half year's worth of movie watching. Well, thank you, Dan. It's definitely been a meaningful connection in my life these last six months, and I've appreciated the chance to watch and talk about some cool films. Hope you've enjoyed hearing about them, listeners, and join us as we go into the future. Signing off, this is Dan. And this is Brian, looking forward to another six months, and perhaps more, of the goods of film podcasts.